This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Julia Middleton, Women Emerging Expedition Leader and podcast host, or I am now. I've decided I am. That's what I'm going to call myself as we go into the 13th podcast. The, As you know, the expedition met for the first time, all the 24 women met um, about a week ago. And um, they're now talking to many, many women all over the world about different aspects of leadership that are of interest to them. And they're really delving, they're exploring, they've gone exploring. I thought I'd tell you about some of the, th- the themes that they wanted to explore. There's one member who wants to talk to a woman leader who is a ch- transgendered woman leader who has led both in a male and a female context for obvious reasons. There must be so much learning. There's another, actually, there are two other people who want to look at leadership through the eyes of cities to talk to a leader, uh, a woman who leads a city, um, no doubt against all the odds, uh, that's, that's really pushing forward on the sustainability of that city. How is she doing it? How is she persuading people? How is she making it happen? And then there's another who really, really wants to talk to anybody who has managed to, to bring people together across different cultures in a city through their own personal leadership. There's, um, there's another woman who's very, very interested. It's an interesting ex- how she expressed it. Uh, she wants to talk to leaders who have found ways of projecting strength other than through physical or verbal strength. Really interesting concept. Uh, talking to a lot of people. Then, then there's somebody who wants to talk to women who largely lead other women, um, where women are very much the dominating force in their team. Um, what are the dynamics and how do you do that? There are two different angles on generational leadership. One person who wants to talk about uh, are the big differences between how generations lead. And so she's talking to a lot of people across different generations. And then there's another who's more interested in the concept of whether, whether leadership can almost be passed on is, is leadership generational? Do you hand some of those skills naturally on to, to a next generation? Um, as, as she says, there's intergenerational trauma. Is there such a thing as intergenerational leadership? There's another woman who wants to look hard at different models of collective leadership and, and to try and understand the different ways it's done. There are a number of people who are interested in looking at whether leadership is very different in different sectors. 
And there's a particular thread in that. There's, there's one woman who really wants to look at what, what we can learn from women in the army and the, and the armed forces. There's an interesting angle, which is how do women who are born to privilege develop leadership skills and how do they navigate leadership and privilege um, at the same time? There's a, there's a one woman who wants to look at how you lead, uh, not just with the mind, but with the body. And as she said, how do you overcome the sort of colonization of Descartes thinking and, and break away from that and think about body as well as mind? There's one woman who's, who's really, really interested in talking to I suppose, peacemakers, um, but also peacemakers within yourself. Uh, how do you move from the state of being angry and hopeless very often to a state of joy and forgiveness? And then there's another woman who's really, really interested in the issue of how do you lead when things just don't go to plan, especially if you're somebody who likes planning. How do you lead um, when things don't go to plan? There are lots of others, but there are a few, and they're really, really interesting angles in. As I say, the diversity of the group is fascinating. Actually, the diversity of the angles and the interests within the group are also absolutely fascinating. If you have thoughts on who any of these people should, or any of the members of the expedition should talk to, please, please, please send me a message. I want to know best way and the quickest way is to do it through the LinkedIn group. Send me messages on LinkedIn. Uh, the, the messages I love are the ones that you record because um, <laughs> I wake up every morning. I'm very sad. I wake up every morning and I lie in bed and I listen to your messages. And uh, it's my new way of waking up in the morning. And, and I, the truth is, I absolutely love it. So please, if you have thoughts yourself on any of those su subjects or thoughts on who we should talk to, please, please, please tell us. So on to this episode, this 13th episode, who are we going to interview today? Well, embarrassingly enough, the tables will turn and <laughs> it's me who's going to be interviewed today. Some of the early morning messages that I read have been about who are you, Julia Middleton? You're the expedition leader. We're hearing lots and lots about all the other people on the expedition. Can you tell us more about you? And here's one of the messages I listened to this morning. It's from Paula. I have started following the expedition through the podcast, and I'm learning a lot from the women who speak on it. I would like to know more about what the presenter and the expedition leader, Julia Middleton herself, thinks about leadership and where she learned it from. Thank you. Well, Paula, who am I? I am a 64-year-old white straight woman who lives in the UK. I was educated French. I lived for many years in my childhood in, in the US. I spent 30 years creating Compurpose, which is an NGO that operates all over the world and which I loved. I created it. I founded it when I was 29 and then ran it for 30 years. I've been married to the same man for the last nearly 40 years. The truth is that um, he's still the person that I 
spend most of my time with and would always choose to spend most of my time with. I have had much luck in who I chose to spend my life with. And I have five children. Uh, Youngest is 25, oldest is 35. I have a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law, and I have three grandchildren. While running on purpose, I always was doing other things outside, mostly helping start other um, charities and NGOs. Uh, I like small operations, risky operations, startup operations. I don't think I'd be good on the board of large organizations. I, I'm I'm pretty dyslexic, so I tend to move numbers around and, and get a bit lost in large numbers. So I absolutely focus on small organizations, small startups with passion. Uh, I was part of something called the Media Standards Trust, where we felt that we had to do something that would help heal the or bridge the split between the citizen and the journalist in the UK. I helped start Alfenar with a friend many, many years ago, which is about introducing the concept of venture philanthropy into the Arab world. And I, I'm still on the board of Alfenar. Uh, years ago, there was a cross-party uh, think tank that I was part of creating called Demos that still exists in the UK. I was persuaded to do that because everybody seems to think and they they logically go along a a journey and then they sort of stop because, um, oh, no, I can't think that because that would be left wing or right wing. And I love the concept of Demos saying we will go the whole way with a piece of thinking and be unfussed as to which direction of politics it goes into. And more recently, I've I've supported my um, middle daughter, my amazing middle daughter, in creating something called the REN Project, which is for people with autoimmune conditions. That's me. I hope not too too long. And um, but but here's an interview with the tables turned. Amy Stillman worked with me for for many years and both experienced and no doubt suffered both my good and my bad leadership. And I thought that, that she was absolutely the right person to push and prod me on the subject of leadership. Here goes. Julia. It is fantastic to have an opportunity to ask you some questions about your own leadership, having had the pleasure of watching you lead. So let me just start with this. I think that it takes courage to lead and especially to have the 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 image of creating your own nonprofit before the age of 30 i think it takes courage to do that where do you get yours amy i don't think i recognize it as courage is the truth um i have a, a, a just a i suppose i, I replace courage with momentum you know you see a need and so you get in there to do something about it and also, in my case, a certain blindness about risk. Uh, I don't spend a great deal of time thinking about risk or analyzing risk. Um, I tend to get in there 
and have this ridiculous confidence that there will be a way around whatever the problem is. It seems to me that you are just endlessly curious, always sort of trying to um, explore new topics, go into uncharted territory and asking questions. And yet I, I remember a story you told about your father seating you at a dinner party next to someone who I think you thought was quite boring. Do you remember That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was quite young. I must have been about 12. He sat me next to this man and and I went over after the first course and I said to my dad, honestly, can I be sat someone else because this man's so boring? And my father, with total fury, turned to me and said, that man is the living expert on tropical fish. If you have not discovered that yet, that's because you're a fool and you should have discovered that by now by talking to him. And this is probably the only time in your life when you're going to get the proper attention of about two or three hours of um, the the global expert on tropical fish. Get back in there and talk to him. And And the truth is he was boring on everything except tropical fish. But by the end of that evening, I knew a lot about tropical fish. And, and I think it is that always finding something in everybody that is fascinating that you can learn and showing them verbally and physically and in every possible way that you are listening to absolutely everything they say and that you are completely focused on it and you are fascinating it. And then people shine and they give you their knowledge and they give you their ideas. And people often say, I get so many good ideas. I don't get loads of good ideas. I just listen to other people's good ideas. And sometimes I connect up a few ideas. That's my contribution. But but I think good ideas come from really, really sharp, focused listening. I also, though, Julia, remember you saying um, in moments with colleagues, I, I've heard what you have said, and we are going to go now in this direction. So acknowledging that you had heard their points, but also there had come a moment when a decision had to be made. And, you know, sometimes... I, I think collaboration is a is a big thing uh, these days, and so, sometimes collaboration can lead to consensus. And I think your leadership hasn't been about that. Can you talk a little bit about it? Well, I, I think I think you have to listen, and you have to listen incredibly hard. And and uh, as I've said, but um, and and you you need to let people know that it's worth them talking because you are listening. But then there does actually come a point where you are the leader and there are five different ways of going forwards. And it's possible that all five ways are really, really good ways to go forward. But you've got to choose one of them. And I think sometimes you have to say one, two, three and four are brilliant ideas. I'm not knocking them, but we're doing five. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and and it's my job to choose that. And then, as you say, if the next day you discover five was a total disastrous idea, you <laughs> apologize and you go back and f- choose one of the other ones. But um, and and the truth is, if if indeed you aren't the right person to decide which of these five we should be doing, but the person who's sitting on your left is the person, or the person who's sitting on the right is the person to make the decision. 
then let them make the decision. But it's you as the leader delegating that decision to them. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you know, I think I, I deeply believe that collaboration is not giving away leadership. It's not a lighter weight of leadership. It's an infinitely greater weight of leadership because you have to you have to collaboration is a hard thing to lead and it's all about timing what do you mean by timing when's the moment to say which of the five we're going for Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because if you do it too soon everybody says you know you haven't been listening and if you do it too late then you've missed the boat you know choosing the right moment and and getting that right and getting your legitimacy is, is is absolutely crucial pace is important and a delayed decision is often a disastrous decision. And um, but th- that ties in with the ability to admit when you're wrong. So if you if you've made a bad decision, you've got to be able to. You know, it, there is nothing more awful than working for somebody implementing a decision that we all know was the wrong one, but they're not prepared to admit it. That is absolutely soul destroying. I know you've written about core and flex about how important it is for people to know what are the boundaries of their core and what are they willing to flex. Um, I know you you work internationally quite a lot. And how do you learn to adapt to different cultures, different people, and how much are you prepared to flex? Uh, is there a story you could talk about? Even that, Amy, is quite interesting because you've used the word willing and prepared. Yeah, willing to flex, or how much are you prepared to flex? And 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 I often hear the the words around flex as almost a compromise, and I don't I don't see flex as a compromise at all. And 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 the truth is, the bits that are core to me that if I didn't do them or believe them or, or I would no longer me, they define me to some extent. But it's the flex that's that that I think defines people the most, you know, where are you prepared to go with other people? And, um, but it's not just prepared where you are delighted to go with other people. You know, where is, where is that wonderful flex that you have that, that allows you, that permits you, that empowers you to to go into new situations and not sort of say, well, this is the line over which I will not move. The answer to me is these are all the wonderful lines that I'll move all over the place because because by by moving them all over the place, we be, we get the pace, we get the energy, we get the excitement, we get the the joy, uh, you know, this when you talk about leadership, so many people talk about so many different things and leadership that inspires them. The, 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 the thing that inspires me most about leadership is when you achieve something. You know, success. There's nothing more fun and motivating and exciting than energy and success and pace at something that really matters. So I I think you know anything that gets in the way of that excitement, that of of of, of momentum, is is worth knocking around. So, f- to me, I start with everything's in flex unless it manages to get to core. It'll be pretty difficult for it to get to core. 
What are the things that are core to you? Family, family, being straight. And that doesn't mean honest. That means also direct and 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 not messing about. Always, always taking a step forward. Enthusiasm. Um, I won't do anything unless I can be enthusiastic about it because it's so much in my core. That so, so, so those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And um, are there examples of how you flexed where you've surprised yourself? Oh, I, 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 I endlessly, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a grandmother trying to, you know, this is, this is new concept to me being a grandmother and, mm-hmm. and, and understanding my own approach to it. And, and I've got five children, so they all have different approaches to, to, to bringing up children and being flexible about that and not sort of walking into the house and making a list of what everybody else should do because I've had five children. Well, I can't even remember what I did with five children anyhow. So, you know, I, you have to be, you have to have flex because then you're welcome in the house. Mm-hmm. I know that you have written a lot about the importance of learning how to lead beyond one's authority. And what what, what do you mean by that? And how can good leaders learn how to do this? How have you learned how to lead beyond your authority? Well, I, I, I mean, authority is an interesting word, isn't it? Because in a funny way, the more senior you get, the more you realize how little authority you have and how the, the tiny bit that you have, you have to use incredibly carefully because if you, if you throw it around too much, you lose it. But leading beyond authority seems to me to be interesting because there are situations in which you do have limited authorities and then there's lots of situations where you're leading partnerships or collaborations where you don't have authority. So you have to learn to lead through the power of excitement, the power of pace, the power of energy, the power of purpose, or, you know, the power of communication. But um, in my experience too, when people begin to lead in situations where they can't tell anybody what to do they 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 get much better at those other kinds of powers and actually when they go back into positions of authority they use their power much more lightly they're much better at persuading the people around them to use their power to make their own decisions even if they're rotten ones now i don't think the job of a leader is to empower people to make a mistake so if you can see somebody who's going to walk into a terrible mistake and you you sit back and say nothing, then I think that's pretty cruel myself. And sometimes people do that and say, well, I was empowering them. Well, I don't, I don't think that's fair. But I think in most cases, you don't know if it's a mistake. You think it's a good, good idea at trying. And you push people to make their own decisions. They don't need your authority. And you give them your authority with, you know, you hand it over to them with the greatest of pleasure. But the, I think it's important to, to, to get out of the habit of using authority. Even within an, an organization, even where there may be even, some authority? Even within it. You know, the joy of, the joy of, <laughs> how am I saying this? Uh, to an American, but you know, one of the joys is going on long holidays and discovering that everybody was fine without you. That's <laughs> that's called success, and that means that when 
that means when you come back from holiday, you can put your feet on the table and plan what's going to happen in two years' time, not what's going to happen next week. You know, the, the, the leadership needs to be handed over as much as you possibly can, with the caveat that there is then sometimes the moment when you have to make the decision, having mm-hmm. chosen the right moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia, I... I remember many stories that you've told in the course of our relationship and how important stories are. I remember once you told a story about being in your garden and looking at a very tall and majestic tree, how beautiful and impressive it was, but noticing that nothing could grow underneath it because its branches were blocking the sun. And I always remember that, you know, what's the message there about leadership and how leaders sometimes need to take a step back, perhaps? Do you know, it's, it's, uh, that tree is a copper beech and uh, it's, it, it is absolutely beautiful. And but it's and it's been there for hundreds of years, but actually it's gone. It's gone in the last two years. And you would not believe the amount of foxgloves that have grown underneath it. It's where all around it is is an absolute sea of foxgloves. It's absolutely beautiful. So maybe, you know, when you cut me down, hopefully there'll be masses and masses of foxgloves. Uh <laughs> There's a real danger that you become convinced of your own rightness and convinced of your own importance and and the foliage gets thicker and thicker and no one can grow underneath you. I, I deeply believe in that concept that, you know, the quality of a leader in the end is, is about what happens when they're, they're no longer there. And um, so you have to allow people to come up around you and most importantly and particularly in modern day is they have to be of any age i've heard you talking in a previous podcast that insider leaders need to cultivate contacts with outsiders and outsider leaders need to cultivate allies inside in order to be able to make change happen and of course both are needed but you are a bit of a disruptor so how did you get comfortable with being a disruptor? And can disruptors ever really be the leaders themselves if their whole existence is around disrupting something? You know, that interview with Lissa was fantastic. And it's it's an example of how much I've learned in only the last few weeks of running this expedition. There's so much to learn from these women, and that was a big one for me. I think both insiders and outsiders are needed. And as Lisa makes the point, they both need each other. I'm particularly good at doing it from the outside. I don't enjoy the power of large organizations. And I have quite a lot of confidence and, and sort of I'm quite an independent agent and I, and I put my foot in it very often and I'm far too crude. So therefore, I think I probably made the decision that being an outsider was was the right position for me. And then, you know, tying myself up well with the insiders as well and, and, and working well together has been crucial to me. You know, in Britain, you everything seems to, once you become successful, people sort of pull you towards the establishment. Mm. And I've worked very, very hard to never join the establishment because I don't think I really belong in it. And, and I think actually 
if you go back to that core and flex, I think part of my core is that I am an outsider. And if I then get drawn into being an insider, I think I will make a compromise. I will be inauthentic and lose my power. One of the things I love about your expedition is that it's 24 interesting and different women working together, but they will influence all of their networks who will influence all of their networks. And this will spread on its own, which is exciting and which is the the sort of um, dissemination of power through other people's networks and just to let it go, let it run. Yes, absolutely. In some ways, I am the right person to lead this expedition because I'm very happy for all the women on the expedition to do their own thing and fly their own kites and rock their own boats or whatever it is <laughs> um, and and not try to control it too much because if we do try to control it, it will be good. If we don't try to control it, it will be brilliant. Let's stop there, Julia. That's an, that's an awesome quote. I love the idea of floating your boat and um, sailing your kite. I like the sort of the, the different levels of that. It's done. (laughs) I've stopped talking about myself. I absolutely hate doing it. But thank you very, very much, Amy, for um, your kindness and your time. Uh, Next next week, I promise to get back to the real people, the the people on the expedition, all the members who who are working so hard to find the approach to leadership that resonates for women. Uh, yeah, I am hopeless at this sort of stuff. Do you know, years ago, I remember I went, oh, there's a program in the UK called Question Time and it's a panel and sort of you're supposed to be terribly clever and terribly intelligent. And I remember going on my way to the Question Time recording and um, I, I <laughs> literally vomiting in the street <laughs> with terror and then I did it, and um, and and the truth, <laughs> yes, it is true. I spent the next three days holed up in my bedroom, hiding, with Tom, who at that stage, my youngest, was six months old, and I decided that he was the only person in the world who hadn't listened to my humiliation on Question Time. Uh, I I reemerged after three days, but it took a long time. Uh, it's hard. It's funny, isn't it? People think that you're so outward going and so noisy, but revealing your own thoughts and talking about yourself, some of us find it really quite hard. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging Group on LinkedIn, where you can have your say. 